Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Just Doing Our Cobb. My name is Casey Serma. And I'm Robbie Harbin. Today we'll be talking about the Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder fight, of course the Daytona 500. And later on we'll be getting into our usual daily fantasy segments and betting pick segments, trying to win you guys some money. And of course we'll end the episode with our Husker recap of the week, so let's get into it. All right, so let's go ahead and start out talking about the Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder fight. Obviously, it was one of the most hyped fights going into it, especially in recent memory. Casey, what did you think of the fight? Um, I didn't get to watch it live because it was a pay-per-view, and I'm not going to pay for that. But I did find the replay afterwards, about two hours afterwards on YouTube, and watched it. And, man, it was kind of a letdown. I was really expecting a really good fight between Wilder and Fury because... Even though Fury was 30 pounds heavier than Wilder, I thought they would match up well against each other. Both great boxers, but it was just kind of really a letdown overall. Fury just beat the crap out of Wilder. I mean, 135 punches landed to Wilder's 54. I don't know, I was just kind of let down about it. Yeah, I kind of agree, but kind of going into it, I was hoping for Tyson Fury. I just, he's such a character and he's so charismatic. He's such a good person, it seems like. Obviously, Deontay Wilder is kind of in that same category, but I've always... For the past couple of years, ever since I found out about Tyson Fury, I've been a kind of a big fan of his, honestly. And so I was pretty excited for him. And then what about the uh, the blood lick during the sixth round, I believe, from Tyson Fury? That guy is a maniac. That's all I've got to say about that. I, I can't believe I saw that. that. That was just insane. Yeah, Twitter, I mean, Twitter went nuts over it. All social media went nuts. That is one of the, like, man, some of these boxers do strange things when they're in the ring and, or in the ring and want to win. How about... Uh... Wilder's costume that supposedly caused him to lose the 40 pounds of metal that he was wearing into the ring. I think that is the worst excuse I've ever heard. I don't care if it does weigh 40 40 pounds, 50 pounds, and it is heavy. I guarantee you that is not the first time he wore that costume. I'm sure, I know he hasn't worn it for any other fight, but I'm sure that he's had to try it on. He had to want to see what it looked like before he went out. So I'm sure that going into it, he knew how heavy that costume was. And if it was going to affect him like he's claiming it did, don't wear it. Like, worry about yourself, worry about your legs, worry about the fight. Don't worry about looking cool going out in the ring i think it's such a lame excuse yeah i do too it's just and he said it after the fight he said no excuses multiple times after dropping tons of excuses like his corner throwing in the towel for him all that stuff i mean you can you can drop as many excuses as you want but at the end of the day he just got beat bad yeah he did like that was nothing compared to what he put on in that first fight and whether or not it was the costume he got completely outfought by Tyson Fury the entire time you think if he puts on more weight before the because we're going to get a third match do you think if he puts on more weight it'll be a different outcome or what do you think the the problem was you know I'm not sure it just seemed like Tyson Fury had his number at every turn so I'm not sure whether that comes down to more game plan more strategy I mean Deontay Wilder is one of the most explosive punchers adding more weight can add a little power but I don't think it's going to make the world of a difference I think he's going to get some need to get some more mechanics down if he's going to beat Tyson Fury and more strategy. Yeah, he is Fury is definitely a very technical boxer, you can tell. There it was a really great match overall just to watch. I'm I'm excited for the potential third rematch of this Wilder Fury event. Yeah, it should be good. All right, so let's go ahead and move on. We just had uh, Kobe Bryant's memorial service where, of course, you know, so many of those close to Kobe spoke. Uh, Vanessa Bryant spoke for the first time publicly since Kobe and Gianna's passing. You had guys like Shaquille O'Neal there talking, um, Gina Onomora from UConn. You know, Casey, what what were some of the biggest takeaways you had from the memorial service? I would say uh, Vanessa Bryant's speech, that one... That hit a couple heartstrings, I think, for everybody watching. It was, and she didn't have to do that. She didn't have to. She could have just had a private funeral for Kobe and Gianna, and that could have been the end of it. But she wanted, she knew the impact that he had on everybody and everybody in LA and everybody in the basketball world. So she wanted to make it important for them and an event for them to go to and remember someone that they all looked up to. So I thought she was remarkable in doing that. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, she had her moments where she got choked up, but she was unbelievably strong throughout her entire speech, which I can't even imagine what she's gone through in the past month or so with 
since Kobe's death and Gianna's death and everything. Um, I think probably my, the part I liked was Shaq's speech where he talked about a, how some of the Lakers came up to him one time and was like, hey man, Kobe's not passing us the ball. And Shaq was like, okay, I'll talk to him. And so he goes up to uh, to Kobe and says, hey, there's no I in team. And Kobe says, no, but there is an ME in it. Like, you know, I mean, obviously everyone always gave Kobe you know, some grief for being a ball hog and not passing. But I just, the way he, he said that to Shaq and was just the epitome of Kobe Bryant as a basketball player, I think. Yeah, it was definitely cool hearing some of the former players and friends of Kobe's, like, anecdotes. Because, really, I feel like we've, as a fan base, unless you were, like, a 100% dedicated Kobe fan, we've learned, unfortunately, when people die, we've learned so much more about them after they've passed away. So, it's been definitely cool to hear all of his stories from past teammates, past coaches, past former players, past friends. It's just been great to hear all the stuff that he's had an impact that we didn't get to hear when he was alive. Yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, obviously some of the biggest stars in the NBA have came out and some of the bigger stars in the world, like Tom Brady even released a statement um, earlier just talking about the kind of superhero Kobe was, not just because of basketball, but because he – everybody that he knew and everyone around him he pushed them to be their best selves every day and that Kobe knew no difference between extraordinary and ordinary and he just pushed everyone as hard as as hard as they wanted to go yeah he's definitely a special player and special type of person that I don't know if the NBA is going to have and at least now I mean there's people that play with the same mentality that he has but there's no one that that I don't I just don't see that strong of a competitive will maybe we'll see it in the next couple of years but I mean, he's definitely one of a kind, and he will definitely be missed in the NBA. Yeah, I agree. There's there's nobody that's ever going to be Kobe Bryant. I mean, there's just not. But I think it's amazing to see just little parts of him in so many of these young guys' games. You know, Trey Young has that kind of offensive mentality. Jason Tatum has studied Kobe and a lot of his footwork mechanics. DeMar DeRozan's another one studying the mid-range and kind of post-game of Kobe Bryant for, for a little bit of a shorter guy in the post-game and mid-range game. So... You know, I mean, obviously, you look around the league, you're going to see Kobe Bryant everywhere in all these players because he's affected so many. Yeah, and this definitely is not going to end with the Kobe memoriams and everything. It's going to go on through the rest of the season. It'll be interesting to see overall what continues maybe in the finals with the Lakers were to make it with tributes to him. I'm very intrigued to see that. Now we're going to move on to the Daytona 500. Because of recording schedule conflicts last week, we couldn't record because the race was going on as we were recording. So we're going to recap that now. Great race, but there was a very scary finish with the Ryan Newman crash. What happened there? What When you watched that, what, what, were you, what was going through your head, Robbie? You know, at first, it I mean, crashes happen all the time in NASCAR, obviously. And so at first, you kind of just think, oh, it's another crash. But then, like, you see the flames and you see the gasoline spilling and he's still just trapped in there. Obviously, you couldn't see him. But, like, at that point, it kind of sets in, like, he might not get out of this. And then, you know, the second they bring out all these black screens and everything, you know, I mean, just so many different thoughts go through your mind as you see that. I remember I didn't see it live. I saw it on Twitter almost immediately ha- after it happened. So then I tuned in because it was about right after we cor- we finished recording. And so, you know, I just was watching SportsCenter looking for, you know, any other information. And this, I'm not necessarily a NASCAR fan. I mean, I appreciate it, what they do and everything, but it's not exactly my cup of tea. But, you know, this is more than just a NASCAR crash. This is a human thing. You want the best for him because that's a scary situation, you know. He has a wife, kids, everything like that. And so it's just, it's one of the scariest things I've ever seen in, in sports at all. Yeah, that after that crash, I mean, you saw, we were ta- you talked about a little bit with the sparks coming in through when he's sliding on his roof. And it, it just goes to a testament to like 30 years ago in NASCAR when they didn't have that type of protective material. That guy's face would have burned off. Mm-hmm. We see that picture the next or two days later with him and his daughters, and he looks he's got no scratches on him. It's it's just insane how far safety has come in the last couple of years, especially yeah. in that sport. Yeah, and even more recently, I mean he just tweeted out a picture of him fishing, just getting some rehab in is what he said. So the fact that, you know, almost a little over a week later, he's already made that much recovery is incredible to see. And obviously everyone's so thankful that he's okay. Even 20 years ago, we had the famous Dale Earnhardt Sr. crash at Daytona. Not even it, If you compare it side by side, the hits that they took into the wall and from other cars, Dale Earnhardt's was not as bad as Ryan Newman's. But the safety materials that they used back then before the Hans device and 
different roll cages and stuff that goes in, in technology that goes into these cars. That's why he wasn't able to survive this wreck. The, the, the amount of like padding and just everything that is taken into account that you can get hit with another car at 200 miles an hour and survive and walk away. It's just absolutely insane. It blows my mind. Yeah, it's incredible, especially like, I mean, the second they brought out those black screens, I think everyone's mind just went to the wrong idea because obviously like, I mean, they were completely blocking off everything from the scene or trying to as much as they could. Obviously, they couldn't exactly block off every angle, but you know, that was, it was a tough moment to watch. And then what about Ryan Newman afterwards? They tweet out from the hospital that he's not He's not in life-threatening condition, but he's in critical condition. Like, yeah. I was wondering if he was missing arms or stuff like that. And I don't know. It was just very vague and probably left a lot of people wondering what's going on with this guy, if that's what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That that also kind of concerned me because, obviously, when you read not life-threatening, you immediately feel that sigh of relief. But then you do – your mind wanders about what uh, critical condition exactly means. But, obviously, still has all his appendages and limbs and everything. So, he's good there. Yeah, it's incredible. I'm curious to see. He is up there older. He's older in, in, for a for a NASCAR racer. I'm I'm curious to see how long his driving career lasts. If he's he did say he was rehabbing and that he was coming back, but I'm curious to see if he actually com- makes a comeback this season or if because if I was hit by a car at 200 miles an hour on my roof and sparks were flying up at me, I probably wouldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Especially after 20 years in the sport. So, be interesting to see where his career path goes after this. But man, he was so close to winning. Yeah, he finished ninth. Yeah. If that counts for anything, he skidded across the finish line. Because he w- he was in the lead when that happened, right? He was going. I think he was going for the lead in second. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and then I also felt really bad for Ryan Blaney that got the back end of his. Yeah. Because uh, Bubba Wallace, another driver, tweeted out that he was not doing well after that, and he felt he took. I mean, it's a clo- it's close quarters. Things happen in NASCAR. He's going 200 miles an hour, but you feel really bad for him because he feels that he could have prevented it, even though he probably could not have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's just one of the chances you take. I mean, obviously no NASCAR driver is going out there intentionally to crash anyone or hurt anyone, you know. Back in, like, my PlayStation 2 days on NASCAR, I was, but none of these actual NASCAR drivers are going out there with that intention. So it's just, I mean, it's really just a freak accident, and that's all it is. Nobody can really be blamed for it, I don't think, and so glad to see that Ryan Newman's doing well. And Denny Hamlin... Took the checkered flag for that race. Ryan Blaney finished second. Chris Buescher finished third. David Reagan finished fourth. And Kevin Harvick finished fifth. But, yeah, that was just a crazy race. It's definitely a Daytona 500 that I'll never forget. Yep, for sure. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Let's talk about XFL. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the XFL. We just had week three. Some ugly, some ugly things, some not as bad things. Obviously, our Dallas Renegades brought home second dub in a row after a disgustingly bad first half again. But then, you know, they kind of got, got the troops rallied, ended up beating the Seattle Dragons 24-12. to uh, Houston Roughnecks still looking pretty good. They beat Tampa Bay. They gave up 27 points, but that doesn't matter when you score 34. But the, the most interesting thing I saw this entire weekend was after feeling so confident with my lock of the week pick last week going in <laughs> on the D- the DC defenders uh. and they come out and nearly lay a goose egg against the worst team it seemed like in the XFL the LA Wildcats they got housed by 30 Cardell Jones you you brought him up as an NFL quarterback again he looked awful i could have done better i think last week yeah i rescind my takes i'm i'm, I'm taking it all back he, he had a nathan peterman-esque game in the xfl and probably the first one of the season i mean aaron murray's had some bad ones but that was one of the ugliest quarterback games i've ever seen but then i mean you look at a team like the new york guardians which i'm actually going to talk about them a little later in some daily fantasy but i mean they've looked awful the past two weeks too only nine points in their last two games yeah i don't i, I don't know how they were able to beat the Vipers that first week. It they The Vipers had like 400 yards of offense that first week, week one. And I know New York only had like tw- 240 or something like that. So I, I just don't know how they were able to do that and just be so terrible. They put up nine points in their last eight quarters. That's just embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, just so much of this is, it's still ugly football. Like we've talked about in past episodes, they need they need quarterback play especially, you know. You kind of have four decent quarterbacks, but when Cardell Jones is like that, that makes it extremely rough because, you know, he's arguably the 
the top quarterback, the most popular quarterback in the XFL. So when your almost star guy of the league is having a game like he did against the Wildcats, where I know he started out like 0 for 6 with two interceptions or something, and he ended up 13 to 26 with four picks and no touchdowns. That is atrocious. I just don't get why there's such a talent disparity on some of these teams in this league. Like they all had the chance. We talked about it in earlier episodes with how the competition should be better because they all had chance at equal players. And I don't know if it's just some of these coaches just are not good at all compared to uh, Bob Stoops is the best coach in the league, no doubt about it, the only one with a winning pedigree. But it's just, it just doesn't make sense with how the talent should be evenly distributed and we're getting such lopsided games every week. Yeah, it it really doesn't. And hopefully come time to the playoffs when some of these top teams are meeting more consistently it can actually make for an exciting playoffs I mean obviously a team like the LA Wildcats has a lot of talent with Josh Johnson at quarterback he just had a great game with three touchdowns Nelson Spruce at receiver you know that's a team that obviously looked pretty bad the first couple weeks but if they turn it around and Josh Johnson can play like this and that makes their their team a whole lot more intriguing too they should open the west to three playoff teams because I do not want uh, either Dallas Renegades, Houston Roughnecks, or the LA Wildcats out of this playoffs because they're it. It should be them. They're, they're the three, and the Battlehawks look like another probably the fourth, third, or fourth best team in the league. Even though the Wildcats are one and two, I think their their talent level outweighs their record right now. Yeah, see, it's just so tough because like after two weeks, you had to say the DC Defenders were the best team. You know, thirty-one nineteen win against the Seattle Dragons, twenty-seven nothing against the Guardians, and then they come out and get housed by the zero and two LA Wildcats by thirty. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense. That's what the XFL has been so far is football. <laughs> that just does not make sense. We did, however, have our first uh kick return for a touchdown, and that was pretty exciting to watch. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I I I've been a huge fan of that rule and over and how they set up the the kick returns. So I, I really hope that the NFL could do something like that to make even though it it seems like it scores on less kick returns than they do in the NFL at this point. It's just a lot more exciting of a play, and it seems like a lot safer of a play for the players. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, that whole trick play with the, the pitch and everything this past weekend was awesome to watch. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Casey's going to talk about some of the winners and losers of the NHL trade deadline. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the Carolina Hurricanes and their emergency goalie crazy victory over the past week. So, Casey, go ahead and start us off talking about the trade deadline. Actually, the Carolina Hurricanes are one of my biggest winners of the trade deadline. Um, they're definitely going for it. They're going for it. They they finished uh, second in the East last year, made it all the way to the conference finals and lost. So they're definitely trying to bolster their lineup and really advance deeper into the playoffs this year, hopefully get to that finals. They traded for Vincent Trocek from the Florida Panthers for Eric Halla and Lucas Walmark and Itu Lusterreinen. I believe he's a prospect from Sweden. I, I've never really heard of him before. And another prospect named Chase Prisky. I really like that deal just because Florida is they're they're on the downtrend, I think, this season. And Vincent Trocek had a, has had a rough season so far, but he's the type of player that could really step in on that second line for Carolina. They also traded for Sammy Vatanen, a defenseman from the New Jersey Devils. He's a really good defenseman, a young defenseman. He can play in probably that second pair on their defensive second defensive pair. He's a, he's an exciting player. And another player that they traded for, uh, Brady Shea, a big blockbuster trade from the New York Rangers for a 2021st round pick. They're going all in on this season, so I can, I'm can i calling them winners now, but if they don't make it past the finals, it's going to be rough for them. Another team that I really like is uh, the Colorado Avalanche. They they made a, a couple of small moves, and then they also picked up Vlad, Vladislav Domestikov from the Ottawa Senators, he's a really solid player, and they got him for a fourth-round pick. Uh, just looking up and down, the Sabres, also my team, you know, they, they let me down a lot, but I am happy that they brought in veteran forward Wayne Simmons from New Jer- from the Devils in exchange for a fifth-round pick. Fifth-round picks don't turn into anything. Maybe he's a spark that can get us over the edge. 27 and 24 right now. They need some help to get into the playoffs, so he's definitely someone that can help out there. But other than that, it's, it was a pretty silent trade deadline. Not a lot of big names getting dealt this year. Which uh, which trade do you think has the highest championship Stanley Cup implications? I got to go with that that Carolina Hurricanes trade for Vincent Trocheck. He is he is probably the best player that got traded in all of, at the deadline, and he. He is a game breaker when he's at his best. He's had a down year so far. They did give up Eric Halla, who's a, so- a solid second line center. 
So I'm interested to see what Vincent Trocek does in a new environment in Carolina. All right, let's go ahead and stick with Carolina. Obviously, one of the craziest sports stories over the past week, um, they had an emergency backup goalie after their, their first two got hurt. David Ayers came in uh, in their game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, only allowed, I believe, two goals? Yep, on uh, 10 shots, stopped or let in the first two, then stopped the last eight. Obviously, they won 6-3. to three. What 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 do you think of that, Casey? I absolutely loved it. It was the first time we really saw an emergency goalie in a game since two years ago when so- Scott Foster made seven saves for the Blackhawks. He didn't get the win. This is the first time ever that an emergency goalie has gotten the win in an NHL game. 42-year-old Zamboni driver goes out there and shuts out Austin Matthews. I loved every second of it. I mean, that is just insane. Like, who, who, imagine if you would have told David Ayers that morning, hey, like when he woke up that morning, hey, you're going to end up being the Carolina Hurricanes goalie tonight, and you're going to win, and you're not going to get paid for it. That's, it's incredible. I think he's, he is getting a little bit. He's getting like $500 for his game check, but that's nothing. Well, Darren Rovell tweeted out that they, the contract he signed was a tryout. Oh, so yeah. So he's not getting paid anything. They did do some stuff. They're selling shirts, I know, with the Carolina Hurricanes right now. So they are going to give half the proceeds go to him for his game check, air quotes. And uh, the other half is going to a charity of his choice. So that's a really nice move by them. And they're selling like crazy. So I'm sure he's definitely going to get paid well for that. Yeah, I mean, this is just one of those Rudy type of stories, right, where guy comes out of nowhere, ends up playing great. I mean, just so, so amazing to watch. Yeah, I saw a tweet. Uh, he's he's from Toronto. He's he he's the Zamboni guy for the Zamboni driver for the Toronto Marlies at the AHL. Mm-hmm. Some guy from Buffalo tweeted that hey, this this is insane. I mean, I'm watching a guy that I've called to sub for goalie for my beer league hockey team thousands of times over the last 20 years. It's just cr- absolutely crazy. I he, mean, he's got to be a darn good goalie in that beer league then. Yeah. How 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 is he the sub for them? Who the heck do they have starting on that team? <laughs> The way I think the way that it works is it's really weird with the emergency goalie situation because all of the ones that are good enough to get paid are playing professionally elsewhere. So you're left with the top end of amateur goalies back home that you can really use for an emergency goalie situation. So I think that's how it happened. Yeah, but I'm talking about for you said that the guy from the beer leagues calls him to sub goalie for them. I'm saying, who the heck does that beer league have? Uh, that beer league team have ahead of David David Ayers. I'm hoping that it's not anyone like any reason of this guy's better than David Ayers. I'm, th- I'm thinking maybe that he's just a buddy of him, and he's like, hey, could you sub in, fill in for our team once Man, a week, every once in a be, while? Because if I was that guy on that beer league team, I'd be calling David Ayers right away. Hey, we need you every game now. Oh, you know, all his buddies at the bar were just like, I scored on that guy. Austin Matthews couldn't score on that guy, but I did. <laughs> I should be at the NHL right now. <laughs> Just you know, if you it, don't if see it wasn't anywhere. for this bad knee I got in college, I'd be there. Yeah, that was that was just an incredible story. I've loved as soon as I, I was not watching the game and I got the update from Bleacher Report that we have an emergency goal or emergency goalie is checking in and I found a way to flip that on. Loved every second of it. All right. For our next segment, Casey and I are gonna be going through some of the, the power five, the mid majors of college basketball, and we're gonna be picking their NCAA tournament champions, uh, the conference tournament, of course the ones that are going to get the automatic bid. So we're going to highlight some of the top teams in the country currently. Uh, let's go ahead and start out with the American Athletic Conference. You know, obviously some really solid teams in there. Casey, who do you like? I am going to go with Cincinnati. And that's mainly because uh, Jerron Cumberland and Keith Williams are really solid players. And I just really think that Cincinnati's experience gets them past probably a better Houston team in this situation. I'm actually going with Wichita State on this one. Yep, a little little bit of an underdog, currently fourth in the American. Uh, they don't exactly have the star power that the Cincinnati's do, the Houston's do, but I trust Greg Marshall probably more than any other coach in that conference. I think they are still playing at a high level as a team, so I think Wichita State's going to get it done, get that, uh, get that automatic bid. All right, moving on to the Atlantic 10. Who do you got? You know, I really wanted to pick a sleeper here and pick an upset, but it, it's going to be Dayton. Yeah, no, the, nobody's beating Dayton. They, they have enough talent to maybe win the whole thing, and being a mid a lower-end mid-major conference like the Atlantic 10, there's no team that can compete with them. Obi Toppin is the beast, best shooting team in the country t- at uh, 52% field goal percentage. Very, very hard to stop this team inside the paint when they get going. I just don't see anyone beating them. Yeah, I don't either. Again, Obi Toppin probably has more star power in his 
finger than pretty much any other player in that conference. He's been so incredible. Um, you know, you almost look at a guy like John Moran, obviously completely different play styles, but just at that smaller college that is just completely dominating and is one of the top college players of the year, not just in his conference, but out of anyone. So yeah, I, I agree. Dayton's the obvious pick here. All right, but this one, next conference, definitely tougher. You got the Florida States of the world, Louisville, Duke. Who do you like in the ACC? You know, I, I was leaning very hard Florida State, leaning very hard. But I'm going to have to go with Duke. I mean, it, it seems like every single year that these guys, they never get, they're never a bad team. They're always a contender for the, the conference championship. And this year, they're just as good as Florida State. I think they're only trailing them in conference play by one game. Uh, Vernon Carey is a fantastic player. Very good on the offensive glass. Team that shoots 47% from the field. 16th best in the country. I just, I, I got to go with Coach K, even though I absolutely hate Duke. You know, I, I got to agree with you. I have Duke winning the ACC, but I think it's going to be tough just from a, a schedule cha- a schedule standpoint because you're playing so many games in such a short span of time and you know, if they do end up at, you know, the two or the three seed in the ACC, then they're going to have to play possibly Louisville and Florida State back-to-back, which who knows what that'll, what that'll look like. Obviously, whoever gets the one seed is going to have an easier time, assuming they'll end up playing like the four seed, who's Virginia right now. But I agree, you know, Vernon Carey is probably the best player in that conference. Coach K, obviously, has been there multiple times, done this multiple times, and his record speaks for itself. So I, I, I think Duke's the pick here. Yeah, the ACC is... It's not that good of a conference all the way down this year, but their top is very, they have a very good chance to have a representative in the final four from the ACC. Yeah, it's hurting them having, you know, North Carolina obviously struggling this year. Virginia, Virginia is still good, but they're not anywhere near the level they've mm-hmm. been for the last several years. Yeah, but all right, let's go ahead and move on to the conference that currently has the top two teams in the country, Kansas and Baylor, the, uh, the Big 12. Who do you have there? I'm going to go with Baylor. I, I just, they have a lot, too much talent this year. To lose the Big 12, I think Kansas easily can get this done too. I, I'm not doubting them at all. So I, I would not be shocked to see Kansas win this. But Baylor is a very, very good team defensively. They hold opponents to 58 points per game, which is third best in the country. Overall, I'm just saying defense wins championships, and I'm going to go with Baylor. You know, this was kind of a 50-50, almost a coin flip for me. I mean, obviously they split their, their regular season, Kansas and Baylor did, but I... When it comes to tournament games, I lean coaches and I lean players, the star talent. And, you know, you look at Kansas, they have Devon Dotson and Yudoka Azabuki, one of the best one-two punches in the country, Bill Self again, one of the most prestigious coaches in college basketball. So I think Kansas is playing hot at the right time. I think they're going to need some scoring from another player outside of those two, which I, I think they will get out of maybe Garrett or so, Garrett or someone like that in the tournament. So I'm going to go with Kansas. That's a good move. I like that. I mean, it, it was a pretty... It's a easy it, choice. It, you flip between, a coin between those yeah, two. Yeah. yeah. Getting to those two was easy. Picking between them was a little tougher. All right. Going on to the Big East, you got teams like Creighton, Villanova, Seton Hall. Obviously, some of them having a great season. Who's your pick there? I was actually going to lean Seton Hall just because I think that their talent and size is too much for the rest of the conference. I like Miles Powell a lot, but I'm going to go with Creighton here. And I'm going to say Creighton, because of their ability to shoot the three, coupled with their defensive improvements from last season, it's just a recipe for a deep run in the conference tournament and probably a deep run in the NCAA tournament. You know, Casey, this is almost getting boring how much I'm agreeing with you, but I also took Creighton. Um, I think this might be uh, Greg McDermott's best team. You know, obviously he had four years of Doug McDermott there, but as a, as an all-around team, this has got to be his one of his best, if not his best. You know, you look everywhere, they play great defense. Like you said, they can shoot lights out, especially when they're on. There are times where you watch Creighton, and I don't think they're ever going to miss. You know, I think if they get hot in the tournament, I think no one else really has a chance. I think Creighton's just playing at such a high level right now. I mean, you know, they just beat the lights out of a top 25 team by 30-plus at home the other day. I think when they're on, they're going to be tough to stop, and I expect them to to keep on this hot streak. Yeah, all the Husker listeners aren't going to be too happy about that one, but it is what it is. Creighton's very good. They're not, it, it's, they are what they are this year. You know, we have an opportunity to make it up to Husker fans right now, though, because we are picking the Big Ten winner. Casey, I know you have the Huskers. Talk to me about it. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Nebraska Cornhuskers here. They're going to go into this tournament with a losing streak, and they're going to win the whole thing out. No, I'm just kidding. All right, a real pick here. I'm going to go with Michigan State. They're very good defensively. Tom, Izbo, Tom Izzo's teams always struggle early and figure it out late. It seems like every single year they have this problem. Maybe not as bad as this year, but most years they figure it out. 
they allow the fifth lowest field goal percentage in the country, and they're a very, very good rebounding team. If they can figure it out on the offensive end, maybe get some help for Cassius Winston, they could be dangerous in this year's conference tournament. Yeah, I like that pick a lot. Obviously, Cassius Winston's a great player, one of the best guards in the Big Ten currently. Um, You know, I just picked Creighton, and now Husker fans are really not going to like me because I'm going with the Iowa Hawkeyes to win it. This is, again, another kind of underdog pick. Obviously, they're not among the top teams like the Maryland, the Penn State. You know, they're kind of in that Michigan State range a little bit, slept on, but can still definitely make a run. I think Luca Garza is just so good, you know. He's up there for National Player of the Year, probably. He can easily get you 20 and 10 in these tournament games. I'm not sure how teams are going to slow him down. If he, if some of the shooters around him can, you know, have some money games to help him out, because he's a he's a walking bucket. You can constantly count on him. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to lead the Hawkeyes to a Big Ten championship. So we're both completely sold that Mark Turgeon's Maryland is going to flop in this tournament, right? Yeah, they're, they're I, just I choke expect artists. that yeah. after after last year in the regular or in the NCAA tournament. I expect them to to full-on flop again they have so much talent i just don't understand that team at all yeah they're just they're just one of the ones that can never get past the hump it seems like Mm -hmm. okay let's go ahead move on to the mountain west um who you got there you know i gotta go with san diego state they're very good defensive team allowing some of the lowest shooting percentages in the country only one loss on the season to byu it's just with these mid-major and lower end mid-major conferences it's very hard to pick against a favorite and a, and a team that's in the top 10 top five right now it's just it's very hard to pick against them so i'm gonna have to go with san diego state yeah i i completely agree i think their their loss to unlv was kind of a fluke a little bit i don't think they should have lost that game only lost by three um you know this is like dayton they're just far superior than everybody else in the conference i can't imagine them losing so now we're going to move on to the pac-12 who do you have there this one's a lot more wide open of a conference i think this is a an extremely tough conference like you know you got teams like oregon up there you got teams like arizona still in it you got just so many possible options in the Pac-12. Nobody has really blown me away, but there's really not anyone underwhelming. I mean, just looking at the standings here, you know, you got Oregon up at the top. You got um, Arizona State right up there. You got UCLA, Colorado, Arizona, USC, Stanford, and all of them are between 18-9 and 21-7 and on the season. There's just so little discrepancy among those top seven or eight teams. Um Personally, I'm going to go with Oregon. I think they're just an extremely tough team. Nobody's beaten them at home this season. Obviously, that doesn't matter as much for a conference tournament, but I think that that just kind of shows how mentally tough they are as a team, that they know that they can get it done. So I personally like Oregon. Um, other than that, I really like Arizona with Nico Mannion. I think he's been great for a freshman guard all season, but I'm, I'm leaning Oregon. I was leaning Oregon earlier. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Their offensive prowess is definitely some of the best in the country and definitely – Top three in the Pac-12, but I just I don't know. I'm being from Buffalo. I'm gonna go with a former UB coach, Bobby Hurley, and I think his team, Arizona State, they've been on the bubble of the tournament a lot of years. They've made it in the final or the first four, and I think they get it done and get that bid and just get in right away. Make, don't have to make mess around in the yeah, first four. Yeah, make it easy on them. All right, uh, another one similar to the Pac-12. You got a couple teams that are kind of up there, but a lot of teams just solid overall. The SEC, who do you like there? You know, this one's also. I'm, I'm just gonna go with Kentucky. Yeah, I'm picking a lot of favorites, but just too, they have too much talent to lose it. I think Auburn though definitely has a possibility to overthrow them with how well how well they've played in the postseason the last couple years in college hoops. Other than that, I just think Kentucky has too much talent. They struggled early in the season, especially with that very very bad loss to Evansville that got them flamed all over Twitter. But I think their their talent is too much to overcome for some of these teams. So I think they're just going to win this SEC tournament. Yeah, I agree with Kentucky. I mean, obviously Auburn has talent. LSU has talent. Kentucky's won six in a row. They're playing great basketball. They did actually just lose to Auburn at the beginning of the month, 75-66. to But again, you know, Coach Calipari, more talent than Auburn. Auburn's going to make it tough for them. LSU's going to make it tough for them. Florida's going to make it tough for them. But obviously, Kentucky has the most star power, the most talent, the best coach. I think they get it done again. That's a good pick. What about What about in the West Coast Conference? Who you got out there? The West Coast is kind of tough, too, because you got Gonzaga, you got BYU, you got St. Mary's. Um, obviously, all those teams are tough, especially, you know, when you look at the West Coast, it almost always seems like number one, Gonzaga, number two, St. Mary's. And for this year, I'm keeping it that way. I'm going with Gonzaga. You know, they've been top five almost all season, just 
don't lose in that conference. Gonzaga, you know, it almost, they make it look too easy out there. With I mean, some of these other teams are pretty good. St. Mary's is a good team. BYU is a good team. But I think Gonzaga is just going to walk over them. Yeah, I have Gonzaga in this conference too. It's just too tough to pick. When you when you look at scoring metrics and statistics and you see a team in out of 300-some or 400-some D1 college basketball teams that almost every one of their stats is in the top 15, it's just very hard to pick against them. They have the size, they have the speed, they have the skill to beat anyone in the NCAA tournament, and I think they're just going to walk right through this conference tournament. Yeah, you know, I think we're going to have some exciting conference tournaments. Casey, what overall conference tournament are you most excited to watch? Uh, I think I'm going to go with the Pac-12. Not A couple of years it's been, the Pac-12 has been down, but we talked about it earlier. There's some really skilled teams in the Pac-12 that are going to be fun to watch, and those when they when they finally narrow it down to like four teams it's a crapshoot so it'll be some really good basketball i think how about you yeah i think that one's going to be great i i'm personally leaning the acc because if you get down to those final four teams of last year's national champs virginia florida state louisville and duke i think those are going to be you know two phenomenal semifinal game leading to a phenomenal final game um i think i think that's going to be probably in my eyes, maybe one of the most exciting, especially because of the star power of the ACC and the different players a lot of them have. But, you know, it should be fun to watch all around. Yeah, it should be a definitely a fun conference tournament season before the, the big dance, which could be the best ever. All right, so next comes our daily fantasy segment where Casey and I try to help you with some of the best plays for the weekend. Obviously, Casey sticks to NHL. I do NBA. Then we'll both talk about some guys we like in the XFL. So, Casey, why don't you go ahead and start us off. Tell us some of your top guys for the NHL this weekend. Well, I'm really digging Mika Zibanejad of the New York Rangers. Three goals, five assists in his last three games. He's a hot play right now. You need him in your lineups no matter what. Mark Shifley is another really solid play. Four goals, three assists in his last four games. Another guy that I really like for the Islanders, Anders Lee. Two goals, three assists for five points in his last two games. He's getting hot right now. I think this streak's going to last a little while, especially with all the help that the Islanders brought in during the trade deadline. Another guy that I really like, and I had him last week, Colton Pareko. Stayed hot from last week since I said he was going to be a really big performer for, for Daily Fantasy on defense. He has had one goal, three assists in his last two games, and Jake Muzzin has one goal and four assists in his last four as well. There's some lower-end defensive guys that you can they're not going to cost you premium dollars, so I think they're really good pairs for maybe beefing up your forward core or whatever. Another guy that I really like at goalie, Jordan Bennington. He is very expensive. He's probably the, the top mo- highest dollar amount salary goalie you can get, but he is worth it. In the last three games, he has three wins with two shutouts, saving 98% of his shots right now. He is definitely worth it if you're going to go all out on a goalie. Another guy I had last week, Mackenzie Blackwood, stays hot over the last week, only letting in three goals since last Thursday for a 96 save percentage and two wins. You need him in your lineups. He is the hottest goalie in the NHL right now. He is definitely one to play. How about in the NBA, Robbie? You know, in the NBA, I'm looking at a couple lower salary guys, lower to mid-range, and then I got a, an upper play for you. Starting off, Lonzo Ball. He has 11 straight games of 29-plus fantasy points. Um, his lowest in that span was 29.5 in this last game. But so far, since Zion Williamson returned, you know, Lonzo can just has so many opportunities, it seems like, for assists with him, the way they were on the court. And, you know, Lonzo's so good at not dribbling down in transition. He's good at passing it up the floor, leading to easy assists in the in the transition game. Uh, they play the Cavs and the Lakers this weekend. So I think, you know, obviously the Cavs is a pretty easy matchup. They allow a lot of points. And then that Lakers game, you got, you know, maybe Lonzo going in with a chip on his shoulder, playing against his former team, trying to show what he can do with his new buddy Zion. Uh, another guy I like for the Miami Heat is Jay Crowder. Ever since he came from Memphis, he's had a major bump in productivity. He's actually seeing like a minute less a game, but his uh, scoring average has increased from 9 to 16 in Miami. So he's a guy that can get you a very solid, about 16 and 6 is what he's averaging in Miami so far. He's kind of a lower salary guy, mid-range salary guy for the, the forward spot. They have back-to-back home games where the Heat are unstoppable at home it seems like they're like 22 and 3 at home on the season uh, against the the Dallas Mavericks and the New York Nets so again you know the Mavericks are a pretty solid team overall maybe not one of the best defensive teams in the league so I think he can still kind of get some points get some rebounds there and then my uh my last play for the week 
Higher salary center. I'm going with DeMontis Sabonis from the Indiana Pacers. I mean, that man touches the floor. He almost instantly has a double-double. He can consistently get you 18-12, and 20-12. and 12. Uh, He produces major productivity at about the $9,000 salary range. Uh, he's also playing the Cavs this weekend, so I'm really trying to hammer those guys playing the Cavs because they are just an awful defensive team. Also has a game against Portland and Hassan Whiteside, which I don't love him as much for that game just because Hassan Whiteside's interior defense is incredible. Sabonis probably won't get as much second opportunity with offensive rebounds because Hassan Whiteside is just a rebounding machine. I, I do still like him for that game, but I love him against Cleveland. I cannot understate how much how much I like him against Cleveland. So let's go ahead and move on to the XFL. Casey, who do you like? Uh, this week, you know, I it was a, definitely an interesting week in the XFL. We talked about it. Um, I really like tight end Donald Parham. I had him on my XFL fantasy team. Start of the year, I drafted him as like kind of a flyer in the late rounds. He's been spectacular for the Dallas Renegades. He might, honestly, I know I talked about NFL contracts earlier and was very wrong about Cardale Jones probably making a return, but I think Donald Parham definitely has it. 6'8", tight end, four, or he ran a t- 21 miles an hour this weekend, so he's got wheels. I like him a lot. I like Nelson Spruce, uh, Cam Phillips. You, you got to have him in your lineup. He's, he's scoring at an astronomical rate. If you had him last weekend, you probably won your contest or at least were high up in the money, so he's another pick for me. I like Jordan Tiamu because of the mobile factor. But other than those guys, who you got, Robbie? One guy, I'm going back to my week one picks on, Cameron Artis Payne. I picked him week one. He was a flop. They so misused him. But then these past two weeks, has been phenomenal. He's scoring touchdowns like crazy. He has 48 fantasy points over the last two weeks. Um, you know, he's probably, depending on where you're at, the first or second highest salary running back. But he is a very, a very good guy to build your team around and try to look for bargains elsewhere. Uh, One of those other bargains I do like is DeAndre Tompkins, wide receiver for the D.C. Defenders. He had six catches for 92 yards on a score in Week 2 before drastically dipping to only one catch for 18 yards in Week 3. But again, it's tough to do when your your quarterback has only 13 completions and four interceptions and you guys just aren't moving the ball well. Um, I do think that the D.C. Defenders' offense will recover a bit. I think Cardell Jones is not going to have that bad of a game again. And as long as he doesn't, he'll get DeAndre Tompkins involved. They play Tampa Bay. Not a great team, and his salary is only 5200 I think he's going to have another breakthrough game this weekend. And then finally, I'm going with a defensive unit, one of the lowest salary defensive defenses you can get right now, the L.A. Wildcats. I know one weekend they fired their defense coordinator, but they've showed major improvements over the last two weeks. They're the ones who made Cardall Jones look like a very, very average quarterback at best. And they're playing the New York Guardians, who have scored nine points, like you mentioned, in their last eight quarters of football. That's incredibly bad. So I think the Wildcats are going to use this as a game to keep tuning up their defense, keep improving. I think they're going to get a lot of takeaways from the Guardians, different things like that. So I love them as a defensive and special teams play this week. So moving on, we will try to win you guys some money here in our betting pick segment. Um, unfortunately, I am now 1-3 in three on my lock of the weeks. It has been rough out here for your boy. But don't worry because I feel very confident about <laughs> this one. So let's go ahead, though, and start with Casey's lock of the week here. All right, so since last week I hopped on the Timberwolves losing to the Celtics and the Celtics covering the spread, I'm going to go ahead and do that again this weekend. The Mavericks cover the spread against the Timberwolves on the road. Dallas covers 56.7% of the time, and the T-Wolves are the worst team in the league against the spread at 35% of the time. It, it just it seems like free money to kind of hop on these guys because the Timberwolves are so terrible at home. Even though Dallas is 19-7-2 on the road against the spread, the Timberwolves are 6-21-1 against the spread at home. Just too terrible just to not hop on, so i got to go with the Dallas Mavericks over the Minnesota Timberwolves. Casey is going to continue bullying the Timberwolves until he starts losing money for you guys. All right, so speaking of losing money for you guys, my lock of the week this week, I'm going with the Sacramento Kings at the Oklahoma City Thunder. I know... When you first hear it, it sounds kind of weird because the Thunder have been one of the best stories of the year. The Kings have, it seemed like, uh, digressed from last season. But the Kings are the fifth best fifth best team in the league at covering on the road. Uh, Oklahoma City is only about mid-range, around that 15 spot for covering at home about 54% of the time. But the Kings on the road are covering machines. They may not win the game, but I think they will cover the spread because it should be a fairly decent spread, maybe like five or six points for the Thunder. Um... Another game I'm looking at, not my. so that was officially my lock of the week. Another game I do like, though, taking another road dog, taking the Orlando Magic at the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs cover the second worst 
rate at home, only about 35% of the time they cover at home. Whereas Orlando, again, falls in that mid-range tier, covers a little over 50% on the road. Uh, the Spurs have just been unbelievably bad at home. They, I mean, obviously, they're not in a huge market. They don't have a huge arena or anything. And I think the Orlando is kind of pushing for a playoff spot almost a little bit more than the Spurs are because the Spurs are just in such a competitive Western Conference versus the Magic only being, you know, out of the eighth seed in the East, which is a lot easier to climb. Uh, what's another game or two you like, Casey? I'm really I'm going to go back to the XFL. I did that last week, and I was wrong about the Seattle-Dallas game. So I'm going to go the opposite this week, and I'm going to hop on Dallas. My team, our squad on this show, the Renegades report here, I'm going to go with Dallas to win outright. It's basically a pick them. The spread's one point, and the Roughnecks are favored by one. So I'm going to go with Dallas at home over the Roughnecks. It's going to be a tough game, but I'm really looking forward to it. Another NBA game I'm looking at is, uh, I mentioned earlier with Jay Crowder, the Heat are playing the Mavericks at home this weekend. I really like the over in that game. Dallas is first in the team, or first in the league at home at games going over. Miami's third in the league at games going over. The Heat can't guard anyone. It seems like pretty much no one can guard the Heat because they just are constantly putting up 100-plus points in every game now. Uh, obviously with the Heat at home, they get a major scoring boost, and I don't think they're going to stop Dallas. I don't think they're going to stop Luka too much, so I'm really liking the over in that game. All right, now we're going to move on to is it an overreaction? (laughs) Ravi, my first overreaction for you is in five years, the NFL's top QBs will be Mahomes and Burrow. Before I completely yell at you KC who who was the NFL MVP this year Lamar Jackson you think Joe Burrow has a shot of taking over Lamar Jackson in the next five years Lamar's younger he is he is I think I think that is an overreaction I do think Joe Burrow is going to have a great NFL career but a top two quarterback in five years you know I mean who knows he could have a Pat Mahomes type career where he just explodes in his second year but I think there's just so much young talent currently. Guys like Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray is coming off a great rookie year. I don't think he'll be up there either, but I think he's a a tough guy to compete with. So I'm going with it is an overreaction for top two, but if you were to say maybe top 10, I'd give it to you. I think Joe Burrow is going to do phenomenal things, but it all depends on how Cincinnati, assuming they draft him, also uses him and builds around him because a system can absolutely make or break a quarterback, as we all know. So on the topic of Joe Burrow, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the NFL Draft Combine. My first take for you is that quarterback hand size is the best part of the NFL Draft Combine. It definitely leads to some of the funniest tweets, so I'm going to say that that is not an overreaction. I just I love seeing some of the stuff about hand sizes at the Combine, like yesterday with where Joe Burrow replied to it, and he said, because he had the small nine-inch nine, nine inch hands, which uh, you said you measured your hands. They're eight and a half inches, they right? They're eight and a half inches, yeah. and I am about six one ish. Yeah, so those are those are small hands for relative relative for NFL QBs. So it, it, it was funny how he said, "I might as well retire now because my hands are too small." After he just had the best season in college football history at quarterback, and just look, I found a, a stat online too, just to kind of debunk this whole theory that hand size really matters. It's it goes with they say the biggest concern with hand size is how they they're more prone to fumble the ball and you look up and down there's quarterbacks in the last three years that have been drafted like Cody Kessler that has an 11.25 percent fumble rate and he has he has 10 inch hands and then you got guys like Sam Darnold who are on the lower end of hand size at nine and nine and a quarter inches and he only fumbles the ball six percent of the time so it really looking up and down there's really no correlation between hand size and fumbling the ball. So I think it's just a useless stat, but it is absolutely hilarious when people bring it up as a storyline. You know, Casey, once I measured my hands yesterday and they came in at only eight and a half, I was I was feeling pretty defeated about myself, my dreams to be an NFL <laughs> quarterback. But since you brought up that, since you debunked the whole myth of fumbling, I think I think it's time I go for my dream again. Yeah, you got to go. Give it another shot. All right, Casey, what's your next take for me? My next take, Bradley Beal should be in a different uniform at the start of the NBA season next year. Casey, that is not an overreaction. Bradley Beal needs to get as far away from Washington as he can. He is a walking bucket. He's putting up 50 points over the last couple games in in each game, and he looks miserable because they keep losing because he has no help. I think if they ever get a healthy John Wall back and maybe add another solid all-star type of guy, he 
he'd be more inclined to stay. But as of right now, you know, he was rumored with Miami at the trade deadline and a few months before then. I'm not sure it'll be Miami, but I do think he needs to get as far away from Washington as he can. You don't think they're going to be a contender next year, Washington? No. No? No. (laughs) Even if they get a completely healthy John Wallback, they would need to make substantial moves. Like, they would need to draft, I don't know, like James Wiseman, have him come in and be an immediate impact to have any relevance. Yeah, they're they're just a team going nowhere, so it would probably be best to just trade away all your assets and move on, I think, too. And, and the thing is, is that they are probably in the easiest division of the NBA because you got Charlotte, you have Atlanta, you have Orlando and Miami in there with them. That's not good. Miami's pretty good, but the rest of those teams are awful. Like, if you're going to compete, and do it now. That's the division to do it in. But I still, do, I think Washington's so far away. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Well, what do you got for me? What's next? So I'm sticking with the NBA and possibly even moving players like that. I'm going that the Philadelphia 76ers should trade either Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. I am going to say for now. I know this is probably going to come back and bite me, but this is this is an overreaction. <clears throat> he spent all those years processing and building this team with hopes that guys like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid can lead them to the promised land, and maybe the promised land for them being outside of the second round. I, you know, it's tough to give up on a player that young. Ben Simmons only 23 years old, Joel Embiid 25, so they're both on the younger side of player ages. Ben Simmons just, he, it's not as much a Joel Embiid problem, I think, as it is a Ben Simmons problem. Sure, Embiid takes some plays off and some nights off here and there, but who doesn't in the NBA? Ben Simmons needs to work on his game. He needs to be a better shooter. At, at the guard position in 2020, you have to be a good shooter. You, you're, you're leaving your forwards and centers susceptible to doubles and a lot of tricky defense in the paint. It's just, I, I think he needs to improve, but I don't think they should trade him or get rid of him and break up the band. I think that they just need to give him more time, and they really need to stress that development on him. I think they need a... The Sixers need to surround both of them with more shooters, too, because Embiid can shoot the three for a big man, but not extremely well. But, you know, you look at the rest of that starting five, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, who Al Horford's been so bad this year compared to Celtics Al Horford. But all those guys you trust to make an open three, but they're not knockdown shooters. What about Furkan Korkmans? He's not bad off the bench, but, again, like you, if you're – Gonna try to play Embiid and Simmons together as much as they do. They need a knockdown shooter to help spread the floor. You know, that's where a guy like J.J. Redick in past years was. That was his role was literally to just stand at the three-point line, knock it down when you got it passed or passed to you. But obviously he's in New Orleans now, so I think they need another guy to help him space the floor. Maybe a Joe Harris who's an unrestricted free agent this summer could possibly help out Philly pretty big. Maybe. I could definitely just move a couple hours for Joe. All right, Casey, what you got? All right, my next take for you, Robbie, is that the Milwaukee Bucks will fail to make the NBA Finals for a second consecutive year. That is an overreaction. No team in the East is beating beating Milwaukee in a seven-game series. I'm sorry, but it's not happening, you know. Miami's struggling lately since the new year. They're like 12 and 13. 76ers are without Ben Simmons currently, and them, and like we just mentioned, him and Embiid need to figure out their games together. Um, I do think the Celtics have a chance to to compete against them and to contend against them, but you know, home court advantage, Giannis, Antetokounmpo. I'm taking Milwaukee in any seven game series against anyone in the East. I there's no Kawhi over there that's going to beat them. There's there's no one like that that's going to single handedly beat. I mean, obviously Kawhi didn't single handedly beat them, but he was a very big part of it, and obviously a superstar. There's no one like that in the East this year that's going to slow down Giannis and in the Bucks. Yeah, they're definitely a very tough team. One thing I did notice that might get them into trouble, they're falling into that trend of blowing out teams and then playing their starters 30 minutes and sitting them. And then rely, and then in the playoffs, they're going to rely on them to play sometimes 40 minutes a game. That could get them in trouble like it did last year. I think that was what cost them the most in the Toronto series. They just looked like they weren't conditioned for it. Yeah, and, you know, there are guys like Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, you kind of worry about that. Obviously, I'm not worried about Giannis going out there playing. He could play three overtimes and play every minute. I wouldn't be worried about him other than foul trouble. But, yeah, I mean, that could come back to bind him, but I I don't think it's it's a big worry of theirs right now. Yeah, they definitely are tops in the NBA, a team that just looks like they're not going to get beat at all. All right, so, Casey, my last take for you before we move on to our Husker sports segment is that we are in for the best March Madness tourney tournament in years. 
I would agree with that. I'm going to say that that is not an overreaction, and that is because just how much parity there is in college basketball this year. So many number one turnover with number one in the rankings falls all the time. There's there's no team that's unbeatable, even though like Duke last year, they didn't make it all the way, but they were seen as that unbeatable favorite. And it seems like any a lot of the mid-major teams are playing a lot better, so we might see some really good upsets in those 5-12 matchups. And I don't, I dare I say a 116 matchup this year. I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be awesome if it happened again. There's teams like Kansas, Baylor, Gonzaga, Dayton, Duke, Florida State, Creighton. Teams like that, anybody can win this. It's anybody's tournament. Any team that gets hot in March has a chance, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. The complete disrespect to San Diego State there. You just completely left them out. I'm going to leave them out because, you know, the Mountain West is not the toughest uh, division to get out of, and they just don't have the proven track record. But I'd love to see them prove me wrong. That team is full of baby Kawhi Leonard's, though. They are, yeah. Very good defensive team. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our Husker Sports segment. Obviously, some of the sports we talked about last week, we're going to recap them, starting with Husker softball. They just went down to California where they played five games against some powerhouses, Oklahoma, BYU, Washington, Cal, Florida. They struggled. They they weren't close in a whole lot of games down there. They went one and four. They only beat Cal. Um, not, a, not a great showing from them, but I think that obviously helps them learn a lot about the team they have. Um, you know, our top five wrestling team, the, the Nebraska Husker men's wrestling team went on the road to number 13, Minnesota, where they won 29-12, utter domination. Uh, women's gymnastics was in the Big Five in Toledo again with Illinois, Iowa, Ohio State, Rutgers. They took home first place in the meet. Great showing. And then we were hoping for some baseball to get back on track down in San Diego. They ended up losing all three games to San Diego, San Diego State, and Arizona. Uh, two by one run and one by only two runs. So all close games. They were in all of them, but they just couldn't couldn't sprinkle in another run. Uh, Casey, what's your biggest takeaway from the week? You know, um, it, it would be an overreaction to say that I'm worried about the baseball team. We talked about them earlier in the season, as or earlier, like last week, two weeks ago, that we thought they were going to have a great season after that huge showing against Baylor, and they've kind of faltered since then. But like you said, they're in these games. They're not out of them. It could just be at early season hiccups. They haven't even gotten, they're not even close to conference play yet, so there's really nothing to worry about as long as they get back on track, I think. Yeah, I agree. Then again... I'm gonna I'm gonna keep talking about our wrestling team every week until they lose because you know number four in the country just went on the road against the number thirteen team utterly dominated twenty nine to twelve so many of the top wrestlers in the country are right here in Nebraska we got Big Tens coming up I believe like March seventh March eighth around that weekend you know it's gonna be incredible to see what these guys can do in the the Big Tens and then the eventually the NCAA tournament yeah that that wrestling team is just spectacular it's such a tough conference to wrestle in the big 10 there's so many ranked teams and overall solid teams that you just don't get in other conferences and for nebraska to go on the road and dominate teams like this in the big 10 it's just it's huge i mean each year you have iowa up there ohio state penn state minnesota and then the fact that nebraska sprinkled in with all those and obviously even better than a few because they've beaten some of these top teams is is incredible to see um coming up in the next week we have sand volleyball in action with multiple games, couple here in uh, Lincoln, some down in Texas. That's right. We have sand volleyball in late February in Nebraska. Um, we also have women's basketball taking on Indiana on the road. You got men's basketball with a couple home games against Ohio State and Northwestern for senior day uh, before their season wraps up and they go on to the Big Ten tournament. Baseball is going down to take on number 12, Arizona State, all weekend. So looking for Looking for some wins there. Then, of course, we have softball down in the Missouri tournament. Uh, Casey, what are you lo- looking forward to? I'm looking forward to see if the baseball team can get back on track. They, they I, I was very hyped up for them before the season. I thought that it would be an interesting year with a new coach and everything. So I'm looking it, – it, it, they are going on the road to face a pretty tough team in Arizona State. So it'll be interesting to see if they can maybe ta- even just take one of them, show something in those games, don't get blown out in the other two games, and we can kind of get this season back on track, I think. Yeah, that'll definitely be interesting to see how they do against Arizona State all weekend. I'm looking forward to our men's basketball team. You know, one of your overreactions from a couple weeks ago was that they'd win three more regular season games. They only have two left, and they're still at zero (laughs) from that episode. Um, But obviously, Ohio State's going to be a tough game, but hopefully they can win their senior game against Northwestern. Build maybe a little bit momentum towards the Big Ten tournament. Maybe make a little bit of noise. Obviously, I don't think they're going to win it or anything, but... 
you know, I think that could be a big confidence builder here for Nebraska getting a win against Northwestern this weekend. That's a high-stakes game, too, because if they lose to Northwestern, they take a two-way tie with Northwestern for the last-place team in the Big Ten. So that is a big deal. They got a, they got a lot to play for there. But if you're last place in the Big Ten and you play Maryland, that's not bad. You no. we we expect Maryland to flop. Maybe that's the team they actually want to play. Maybe they'll maybe they'll throw the game, try to get in the tournament that way just by playing Maryland. I I overheard a rumor that they were tanking for top recruits next year. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I'd believe it. I think Trevor Lawrence is coming here. Actually, we're, t- <laughs> we're taking for Trevor. All right, so that about does it for episode five of just doing our Cobb. Uh, tune in next week where again Casey and I are going to look back on our locks of the week hopefully I can get back on track hopefully Casey can keep up the bit of a hot streak he's on you know we'll obviously look back at this baseball series coming up against Arizona State but we will see you guys next week remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast